Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. I want to continue our series called Let No One Deceive You. And uh, I believe it's part 13, but really who's counting at this point? Let no one deceive you. We are going to try and land this plane really soon. I think it's time to move on. I could be talking about it for a long time, but here at the Roads, we believe the Word of God is the truth, so we get excited when we open our Bibles. So if you got your Bibles, E-Roads Family, Watch Parties, Overflow Room, wherever you are, come on, let's show some love to Jesus as we open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Woo! Yes, Matthew 24. Get a little hype. Matthew 24, sermon notes are available there in your worship guide and on the YouVersion Bible app. So bring your Bible to church. I encourage you, whether it's a phone, a tablet, or the paper, bring your Bible. Don't believe what I say without checking it out for yourself. I want you to follow in the Word of God. I don't want you to follow the Word of Chad. I'm going to go over and get this while you're turning to Matthew chapter 24. I brought the board today. Because I've got some stuff I want you to see. I'm going to draw it out. Today I'm going to talk about something that I think is important for us, the, the concept of understanding that God knows the truth about the future. Amen. I believe that we need to be in great comfort that God knows the truth about what's coming ahead. He knows the truth, so we need to not be discouraged, we do not need to be afraid, we don't need to be nervous. We need, if we are followers of Jesus, you need to set yourself back and say, yes sir, I was born for this time. I was born for this. Let's don't get discouraged and say, oh, man, in this world, I wish my kids weren't born. God thought enough of your children to birth them into this time and season in history. God thought enough of you to birth you right now in this time. I'm glad I'm born in this time. I don't want to be born in 1950. I like technology, praise God. <laughs> All of you born in 1950. My dad was born in 1950. But here's what I want you to understand. We don't need to be intimidated. We don't need to be backing up and say, oh, this is a horrible time to be a Christian. This is the best time to be a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you need to jump on board or you're going to be on the losing squad. That's not a threat. That's just the facts. So that's why we've got to be confident about our relationship with Jesus. So uh, too many Christians right now are getting intimidated and thinking they don't have a right to address public issues. Why do we talk about current events here? Why do we talk about things? Is it political? Uh, no, it's not political. It's not political to talk about current events because we're not here supporting. I'm not here touting the Republican platform. I'm here touting the kingdom platform. When Jesus came on the earth, he came and he said this, hey guys, I come with a new sermon. It's called the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven. Kingdom has a king and his name is Jesus. He's not up for vote. He's not up for election. He's the king. So that's the platform we stand on is the kingdom of heaven. So don't get your loyalties all in a political party because there's so many people amongst both political parties, some good and some bad in both of the two major political parties. Get your heart set on the kingdom of Jesus Christ and then you'll walk in that love for people no matter what letter they have after their name. Thank you, Jesus. All right, people think it's out of bounds though for the church to talk about social issues and and uh, I, I just think if that's the case, who gets to say what's right or wrong in society? If the church can't speak to it, then who gets to say so? 
Who gets, to, who gets to tell our children what's right or wrong? Who gets to speak into them about proper values? Is it social media? Is it uh, mainstream news? Is it pop culture or celebrities? Celebrities get to tell our kids what's right or wrong? No, no, no. I believe the church will tell our kids what's right or wrong. I believe the Bible, the Word of God will tell us what's right or wrong. So that's why we're going to address them. That's why we're going to speak into them. That's why we're not going to be afraid to address anything. If someone takes it as political, that's on them. But we're going to keep addressing things because if, we're, if, if we start talking about, uh, start pointing out the Antichrist, if we're still here, let's just say, today's going to be a little teaching. And we may not be here for it. I don't know when the timeline is for these things going to happen. We'll go through a timeline. I've got that ready for you. Uh, but I don't know when they're going to happen. But if we're here and I have to start talking about and pointing out the Antichrist, it will come across as political because he will be a political figure. So when you start talking against a political figure, people are going to say, that's politics in the church. No, no, no. It's called the Bible in the church because the Bible will predict the future. It's laying out the future. So that's why we want to be Christians in love with the Bible, with the Word of God, because it's going to tell us what to believe and who to follow and who not to follow. It's going to tell us what values to follow and what not to value. Okay, I could talk about that a long time. Have you found Matthew chapter 24 yet? If not, good Lord, what's taking you so long? I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. Matthew 24. Whew, I'm going to have to shorten that introduction next service. Verse 4 says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name. All right, this is talking about church people now. This is not atheists and Satan worshipers. That's why it's important for the church people to be on your biblical game because there's going to be a lot of people come in the name of God. They're not coming from the source of God. They're going to be a name only, saying, I'm the Christ and will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Anybody excited yet? <laughs> Here's the problem. Oh, I don't want to. That's a rabbit trail if I go off on that. We've not been taught enough about tribulations and trials in the church. So now the church is shocked that we're actually maybe possibly going to go through a little bit. Well, wake up. It's called the gospel. That's why the symbol of Christianity is a cross, not a couch. Anyway, anyway, and then, and then many will be offended. Is that possible that many will be offended? I don't know. That word offended actually means to entrap, to trip up, cause someone to stumble. They will betray one another and will hate one another. And it sounds like a land far, far away. Then many false prophets, underline that, many false prophets What's a false prophet? One who claims to be a prophet and is not, but also one who proclaims something. They're speaking, they're prophesying, but it's not under God's direction. So there'll be false prophets, false preachers, false pastors. I'm watching and praying very carefully who I listen to anymore, who I'm letting speak into my life. Some people that, uh, I, uh, boy, I'm going to tread on. I'm just not trusting every voice that I used to trust. Money talks. And some things are happening right now in the body of Christ that I believe 
I'm going to speak this out. I believe there's going to be a shifting of people who put their true trust in Jesus and those who put their trust in man in the name of Jesus. I think things are going to start to play out. Some exposure is going to take place. Some motives are going to play out. People, you thought, what then? Yeah, yeah, it's going to come. Because, again, we can put our loyalty in positions. We can get lifted up so much. I say, God, keep me grounded. Keep me humble. Keep me dependent on the word of God. I don't want any celebrity status in Jesus' name. So now, you said many false prophets are going to rise up. How are we going to know that the false prophets? You'll know them by their fruit. Chad, how you know you're not a false prophet? You will know by my fruit. Watch my life. Watch, stay, see what I do, see how I live. My, my fruits. I'm not saying like if I ever make a mistake because that's going to happen. I'm talking about just watch the fruits. Okay. I, I don't have time to go into all that. Betray one another, hate one another. False prophets will rise up and deceive many. How many people are going to be deceived? Many. 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 It's going to happen in the church. And because lawlessness will abound, Blake read this uh, reference this while ago, the love of many will grow cold. So many are going to be deceived and because they're deceived, their love will grow cold. But the ones who are not deceived, their love should not grow cold. So we don't get our, we don't get deceived and we don't understand we're not, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but as long as we understand we live for the kingdom of Jesus Christ, my love's not going to grow cold because I believe that love conquers all. But if you don't believe love conquers all, you're going to start hating on a few people because you think they deserve it. And once you fall into that spirit and then that mindset, bitterness is going to set in. Then you're going to be a grouchy old bear that nobody wants to be around. And you're going to be a Christian. You're going to say, I'm going to heaven, but you're going to be a grouchy Christian. You're going to be a bitter Christian. You're going to be dealing with that. Those people, yeah, they, they deserve what they get. Do you deserve what you get? Just wondering. Just one. Deceive many because, okay, so, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom, gospel of the kingdom, gospel of the kingdom. What are we talking about? The kingdom of Jesus Christ. We're not being loyal to individuals' agendas. We're loyal to Jesus' agenda. It will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. So now this is what God's telling us. Many are going to be deceived. Now, how this is going to work out. I, I wrote down, I already drew these out. We talked in previous, I think if you'll go back to the December 13th message, part nine, this is where we started talking about the seven kingdoms. I want to talk a little bit about the Antichrist kingdom today because I want us to be prepared for that. So I'm going to do the best I can to condense this down. So I, if you don't know anything about what these mountains are, the Egyptian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, Babylon, go to Revelation 17. You can you know, see it there where it talks about there are also seven kings, which are seven kingdoms. Five have fallen. Uh, Revelation was written by John in uh, the Roman period right here at this mountain and he talks about how five previous kingdoms have fallen and he goes back and, and we talk about all these previous kingdoms that were existed in history. Five have fallen, one is to come, so when he's writing it there's another kingdom coming, kingdom coming and it's the Ottoman Empire that overthrew the Roman Empire, which was the Eastern Roman Empire, not the Western Roman Empire. So again, we talked about all that. And it says the one that's to come, the Antichrist kingdom, the eighth, is one of the seven. 
and one that not, the one that is not yet. So the only one of the seven that wasn't yet, the writing of the Roman of Revelation, was the Ottoman Empire or the Turks or Turkey. So this is what I'm talking about. The rise of the Antichrist kingdom will come out of the resurrection of the, of the Ottoman Empire in Turkey. Again, these are my personal opinion, and you can judge it how you want. So let's go over to Daniel chapter 9. I forgot to read verse 15 of Matthew 24. Go ahead and turn there, but Daniel, or Matthew 24, 15, this was my launching verse. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads it, let him understand. So this is the abomination of desolation. Jesus referred to Daniel, and he referred to the abomination of desolation. So let's see what Jesus was talking about. Now, I want to bring up some maps first real quickly just to let you know contextually. Where is the end going to take place? And some of you might be like, Chad, why do I care about this anything, any reason at all? Because you need to know that the Bible told you these things were going to happen. So when it happens, we're not shook. And it should bring us to a loyalty to the Bible. We're like, wow, if God was right about that, I better follow him for the rest of my life. So when we talk about these kingdoms in Revelation chapter 17, notice the region geographically. I'll bring them up there on the screen. The Egyptian empire, what part of the world it was in. The Assyrian Empire, bring it up, and they conquered the Egyptian, that empire. Notice what part of the world it was in. You see it there? That's around the Mediterranean Sea. You've got Israel. You've got Saudi Arabia, the peninsula coming down. You've got Turkey is right above that, right there. And then the Babylonian Empire, they conquered Assyria. Still, we're right there in that same area. Then the Medo-Persians. This was all prophesied in Daniel. Uh, remember the statue and all that? God predicted all this would happen. Hundreds of years before it happened. So then the Medo-Persian, again, that's the area there. And then the Greeks came in, Alexander the Great. This is all just history. It's factual history that took place. The Greeks conquered the Medo-Persians. Daniel predicted it, that the Greeks would conquer the Medo-Persians. Remember the great goat that came and hit the ram with the two horns? I mean, trust the Bible. It's real. It's real. So then after the Greeks, then the Roman Empire conquered the Greeks. And you see where the Roman Empire... Uh, oh, there's the Seleucid kingdom. That's when after the Greeks, after Alexander the Great died, and they split his kingdom up into four. And you can see there uh, the, the different kingdoms has broken up amongst his four generals. The big green part is the Seleucid kingdom. That's the big one. That's where the little horn grows up to the uh, north and to the west, and so towards the Holy Land. So we're, again, that's pointing towards Turkey. I talked about all that, though. We don't have time to go back into that. And so after the Roman Empire, it was split. See the Roman Empire and how, how much area it covered, again, most of Europe, but also down into the Mediterranean Sea, into the east and Saudi Arabia, Israel, Turkey, into Iran, Iraq. And then, so then it was split into two. You had Eastern Roman Empire, Western Roman Empire. The West was conquered uh, earlier than the Eastern, and it went another thousand years uh, into the east in Constantinople. Constantinople is modern-day Istanbul, which is modern-day Turkey. And that is where the Ottoman Empire uh, took up residence and where they overcame and empowered. So, again, notice the area of the world. Why am I talking about this? Because the Antichrist kingdom is not going to be set up in New York City. So when people start talking about things and they start talking about Rome and they start talking about the Catholic Church and all of these things, I'm t I do not believe that is where the Antichrist kingdom is going to come from. I don't believe it's going to be coming from the United States and overtake and rule the United States. It's going to be the Bible is an Eastern-centric book 
Too many people read it like Americans. We've got to read it like Jews. You've got to read it like Eastern world people do. You'll understand things a whole lot better if you read it not from an American point of view, but through the contextual uh, application of where it's geographically written or the source. So now, Daniel chapter 9. So I've got all of that. Here's a vision that Daniel says in uh, chapter 9, verse 20. And he says, now while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. Anybody want some skill to understand where we are? I do. I do. Notice what he says, verse 23, at the beginning of your supplications or at the beginning of your prayers, the command went out. And I have come to tell you, at the beginning of your prayers, God began to answer his prayers at the very beginning. I want you to know that you don't have to twist God's arm to answer prayer. He is ready, willing, and watching over his word to perform it in your life. A lot of times think we just have to beg and plead and finally convince God. We don't convince God. We agree with God. Big difference in prayer. Some people are never taught how to pray, so they think prayer is about saying all the right words to get him to do something that they want him to do. That is not prayer. Prayer is aligning my request with the will of God so that his will takes place in my life. We don't, we don't convince God. We agree with God in prayer. So now, this is what happens here. In the beginning, he says, the command went out, and I've come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Here's the vision. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. For your people and your holy city, that is the Jews and the holy city is Jerusalem. So he comes to, to Daniel and he says, seventy weeks are determined. He gives them a time period. And the 70 weeks in ancient Israel, the word weeks is not just seven days. It could be translated seven days, but they also, when they would say weeks, is also seven years. So when it says 70 weeks in the Bible, it's not talking about a 77-day periods. It's talking about 77-year periods. We have to understand that if we're going to understand the, the prophetic scripture. So when he says, Daniel, I'm going to tell you how long it's going to take. Everything's going to wrap up in 70 weeks. If I'm Daniel writing this, and we remember, Daniel was writing this in 538 B.C. 538 B.C. We're in 2021. So 2,500 years ago, he gets this word, and God tells him, hey, in 70 weeks, this is all going to wrap up. <laughs> Boom. If I'm Daniel, but how many knows this? Sometimes when God speaks prophetically, we don't understand it from his perspective. So it's, we got to be careful that we start taking words and we understanding what they mean when God may mean something from a different angle. So keep yourself open. So 70 weeks, so not 77 day periods, but 77 year periods. So 70 times 7 is 490 years. So now the clock is running. This prophecy, so you're like 490 years, Chad, it's been 2,500. So evidently that wasn't right. Here's something you have to understand too. 
The clock is only running on this 70 weeks when three things are taking place. Number one, the Jews are in Israel, in their nation. Number two, when the temple is built. And number, number three, whenever um, is Israel controls Jerusalem. I know there's three. I forgot the other side. So Jews are in Israel, in their own homeland. They control Jerusalem, and the temple is built. When all three of those things are going, going forth and they're happening, then the clock is ticking. So now let's look what he says. 70 weeks for your people to finish. He gives six promises that are going to happen here. For your people the, to finish the transgression. Israel's national rebellion against God will come to an end. That's what he's saying. So your people to finish the transgression. There will be a time where the Jews who do not recognize Jesus as the Messiah will begin to turn and that nation will turn towards God. It will turn towards Jesus. He said to make an end of sins. There will be a time when sins will come to an end. There will be no more sin. He's giving this prophetically. To make reconciliation for the iniquity, saying that Jesus is going to pay the debt for all sin. The promise of what's going to come through the Messiah. That's what that part means. To bring in everlasting righteousness, Jesus will be a king and he will rule with righteousness over the entire earth. To seal up vision and prophecy, that means that God is going to bring to fulfillment every vision, every prophetic word that he's ever given. All of that will come to fulfillment. Every word that's proceeded out of the mouth of God will come to pass. That's what he's saying. And to anoint the most holy. That means Jesus being the anointed one and his glory emanating from the temple. So look at verse 25. Know therefore and understand. Now if he's telling Daniel in 583 BC to know and understand, how much more do we in 2021 need to know and understand the end times? Sometimes we've been overwhelmed and we think, oh, I don't care about all that stuff. We need to care about that stuff. What if, what, what if I'm not here, Chad, when all this happens? At least you're preparing yourself to understand that if God is accurate about these things, then I need to live for him while I'm on the earth. It's, it's giving us an understanding that Jesus is the way. He's not just a way, he's the way. Know therefore and understand that from, here's the timeline, it starts to come in, that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Seven weeks and 62 weeks. All right, let me give you a quick uh, timeline on history. All right, I'm going to start in the beginning. I'm just going to make it right here. Boom. This is 4,000 B.C., Adam and Eve is actually 4,157 B.C. I'm going to round it off. So 4,000 B.C. is when Adam and Eve were on the, on the earth. Now let's go up here. This is going to be 2,500 B.C. This is Abraham when he was on the earth. Then we'll go to the next marker. I'm sorry, Noah. I, I, Abraham, that should be Noah. I should have looked at that. Noah came before Abraham. Then we've got Abe here. Abe came around in 2000 B.C. Then we got Moses. Moses came in 1000, uh, sorry, 1500 B.C. I'll get that right. And the next one, we have David. King David was about 1000 B.C. Okay, this is history of the world. We see it playing out right there. So Daniel's in captivity in Babylon in 500 B.C. 
This is Daniel. So we'll give you a, a timeline on how things are going to play out. And then the Bible gives us this specific timeline. So here's what he says. It says it's going to be 62 weeks, 7 weeks and 62 weeks. And then the street's going to be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. So he's telling them, hey, the street's going to be built. That means the, the city of Jerusalem's going to be built. The wall's going to be built. Street means that the marketplace is going to be open. He said things are going to be popping again in Jerusalem in seven weeks. Yeah. And he's like, wait a minute. I'm, he's in captivity in a foreign country. Captivity, like slave. And God's telling him, hey, in seven weeks, Israel's going to be rebuilt, the wall's going to be rebuilt, and things are going to be happening in the city. If you're setting that place, do you believe that prophecy? This is our test to believe what God says about the future. He says in seven weeks. So, so what's the time frame? He says, from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks. What's seven weeks? Weeks are not seven days, but weeks are seven years. So seven times seven is some of you folded on me right there, but that's all right. So we've got the first seven weeks. Notice it's divided, 69 weeks total, but the seven weeks is set up separately. So the command, he says there's going to be a command. Well, guess what? The Bible's true. He tells them when it's going to happen. They start the clock 80 years later from the writing of this in 458 B.C. 458 B.C., a command comes out by King Artaxerxes of Persia. So Babylon was overtaken by the Medo-Persians. And then 49 years later, first weeks broken out, 458 B.C., Ezra and Nehemiah are told to go back and rebuild the temple and the walls. It's right there in the Bible. In Ezra chapter 7, verse 11, you can see the letter written by the king who says, okay, now you guys can go back. And God told Daniel there's going to be a command in seven weeks, and, they, and, and it's going to start the process. So what was significant about the seven? Why did he separate the seven from the 62? Because he was telling Daniel something significant is going to happen in seven weeks. What is that? They're going to rebuild the walls around the temple. I know that's a lot, but you need to understand that God was telling Daniel, hey, this there's going to be 69 weeks for this part, but the seven weeks, and then there's going to be 62. I don't think he could help himself. He just wanted to tell him, hey, in seven weeks, look, something bit special is going to happen. And what is that? That's a rebuilding of the wall. So you've got that part going on. And then it says, until the Messiah, the Prince, we've got 62 more. So 62, all right? So now we've got 62 times 7. 62 times 7, 434. Very good. Very good. So now you've got 62 weeks or 434 years from that point. So if you go 458 plus 434 years, that puts us at AD 25 to 26, depending on the months. And he said, from the going forth of the command, when the command goes forth, start the clock. Start the clock on history. And he said, now there's going to be 62 weeks until the coming of the Messiah. So 25, 26 A.D., is that the coming of the Messiah, the Prince? Well, when did Jesus show up on the scene? Some people think that Jesus was born in zero. Jesus was not born in zero. He was born actually in 4 B.C. You look at it up historically. 4 B.C. So now, 4 B.C., 26 A.D., what's the difference? 26 and 4 is 
30. When did Jesus show up on the scene by John the Baptist that said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the, sin of the world. How old was he? He was 30. God told Daniel in 583 B.C. how old Jesus was and when he would show up on the scene. <laughs> but it's just the Bible. You know, it's just, you know, it's just the Bible. That's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. So now, after 62 weeks, notice what's going on. The street will be built even in troublesome times, even in troublesome times. I, I think, church, we need to realize God was giving them a prophetic promise of what was going to take place. And he also told them, oh, by the way, this will all be done in the middle of troublesome times. We forget that. God gives us a promise and then we run into some trouble troublesome times and we think, where would you go, God? He said, I'm right there in the middle of it. It's going to happen. It's going to take place during troublesome times, but it's going to be good. When did Jesus show up? He showed up during the middle of the Roman Empire. Was there a Christian leader of the world right there? No. No. You ever heard of a guy named Nero who came to power, killed all the Christians? It's the same Roman time. So why are we looking for Christians to tell us what's going to happen? Let's look at the Bible and say we serve Jesus the King. Whether we got Christians ruling us or not, we pray for that. We believe for that. We vote for that. But we're not deterred if it doesn't happen the way we want it to happen. We keep our faith in Jesus. So now we start the clock. He said even trouble time. So look in verse 26. He's telling this to Daniel. He says after 62 weeks... After the seven weeks and the 62 weeks, he says, you know, when this Messiah comes, he said, uh, then the Messiah is going to be cut off. That Messiah cut off means he's going to die. If I'm Daniel, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. You're telling me the Messiah is going to come? That's what every Jew's been believing for, that the Messiah is going to come and set up his kingdom? That's what we want. Now you're going to tell me the Messiah is going to die? The Messiah can't die. He said, oh, yeah, he's going to die, but not for himself. 583 B.C., God's telling Daniel that the Messiah is going to come, and then the Messiah is going to die, but he's not going to die for his own. He's going to die for someone else. Romans 5, verse 8, what does it tell us here? It says that while we were sinners, sinners Christ died for us. He's not dying for himself. So this is what happens. So now it gives us this, he's going to be cut off not for himself, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. So now, after the Messiah is cut off, again, right after Jesus, Jerusalem was destroyed, and once Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was torn down, all of a sudden the clock stops. So remember, how many weeks did God tell us were total? He said there's 70 weeks for the whole thing. Seven plus 62 is 69. We're missing a week. We're missing a week in history. Where's that other week? We've got to have this other week. The other week is only going to start, the clock for the other week is only going to start when Israel is in their city again, the temple is rebuilt, and they're controlling Jerusalem. Right now, right after this, they're taken into captivity. Jerusalem is sacked. All the stones of the temple are destroyed. It's, it's dug up. There's no resemblance of the temple anywhere. You, Josephus, the, the historian, said you couldn't even recognize where it was at. That's how far along it went. So now these people cut it off. So now the clock has stopped. Who are the people of the prince? This is the Antichrist we're talking about. And I want to mention this quickly. When it says here, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city. The people of the prince. The people of the prince tells us where the Antichrist is going to come from. You're like, why does this matter? It matters because when you're watching the news, 
You need to know who, what leader do I need to stay away from. And I believe the Bible's telling us right now, the people of the prince are the ones who destroyed the temple. The people of the prince, the, the Antichrist people, the ones who destroyed it. Who destroyed the temple? Well, people will say the Romans did, so now the Antichrist has to come out of the Roman, so that's why they point to the Catholic Church and say it's got to be out of them. No, 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 remember, the Roman part had an eastern part, not just a western part, and the people who actually tore down the, the uh, temple and destroyed the city, that's the one where the Antichrist is going to come from. Let's see who that was. What was the connection? Some people have said Titus. This was talking about Titus, but in verse 27 it says, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. So who destroyed the temple? General Titus surrounded Jerusalem with, with four legions, one on, one on the east side and three on the west side. Which legion actually went through the wall breach and set fire to the temple, pulling down its walls and made the temple mount its new base? Legion 10. Legion 10. Legion 10 of the four legions that surrounded Jerusalem at that time, Legion 10 is the one who actually literally destroyed it. And he told Daniel in 583 B.C. that whoever, the people of the prince who tears down the temple, those are the ones where the Antichrist is going to come from. Who, who made up Legion 10? Legion 10 was not made up of Romans. Legion 10 was made up of Turks and Syrians. Those are the ones who tore down the temple. So now, who are the people of the prince? Those are the people where the Antichrist is going to come from. He's going to come from that group of people. Now, does that mean that all Turks and all Syrians are demons? No. It just means the Antichrist will come from that people group. He's not going to come up out of Los Angeles. He's, he's not going to be from Chicago. He's going to be from the Turk and Syrian uh, descent and that's where he's going to rise to power so now when's this what about this seventh week chad let me finish with this so now when's the clock tick on the seventh week israel's not a nation clock can't tick until israel's a nation guess what happened 1948 miraculously israel becomes a nation again overnight it became a nation one piece of the puzzle Wait a minute, wait a minute, what about, yeah, but they didn't control Jerusalem yet. 1967, Jews took control of Jerusalem. Oh, we got two out of three. What are we waiting for now? What do we need to be built? We need the temple to be built. How's the temple going to be built? Look at verse 27. Then he shall confirm a covenant. This is the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant or a peace agreement with many Many countries surrounding. There's going to be a peace agreement that the Antichrist is going to broker. Turkey's going to be the center of this. They consider themselves the peacekeeper of the Middle East. So someone in power out of Turkey is going to broker a peace deal with many surrounding countries, all the countries that hate and want to destroy Israel. Watch, watch what happens with our government. If we do not support Israel, we are moving in an antichrist agenda. Israel will win in the end. So loyalty to Israel is key. I don't care whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. It doesn't matter. Stay loyal to Israel. I'm not saying Israel's perfect. I'm not saying Israel doesn't have any flaws. I'm just saying my Bible says that Israel wins in the end. And he says those who bless Israel will be blessed.
So now all these nations around them that want to try and destroy Israel, he's going to broker a peace deal with them for seven, for one week, for one week. What's one week? Is seven years. What week are we missing? We're missing one. We're many for one week. This is our 70th week. So now, whenever this happens, I don't know when it's going to happen, 1967, here's when you know the clock, clock starts ticking. Whenever this peace deal happens, be ready, because what's going to happen? Part of the peace agreement will be, here will be the conditional part of the peace agreement. They will sign this peace deal, and one of the conditions of the peace deal was they will be allowed to rebuild the temple. It will be part of the deal, and they're going to rebuild it. And they're not going to build it on the temple mount right now, where the Dome of the Rock is. No, no, no. Because I don't believe that's where the original temple was. They're going to rebuild it, I think. Again, my personal opinion, I believe they're going to rebuild it on the city of David area, which is south of there. And so the Jews are going to find this spot and be like, hey, this is where the temple should be built. And, and the uh, Muslims are going to say, hey, as long as it's not on the Dome of Rock, go ahead, build your temple. And it's going to be the actual proper place. And then once they rebuild the temple, then they're going to start sacrifices again. Notice what it says. He will confirm a covenant with them for one week or seven years, but in the middle of the week. What's the middle of seven? Three and a half. Very good. So he's going to have this peace deal, and everybody's going to say, you the man, you're awesome. He's the leader of the world. Everybody needs to follow the Antichrist. He brought peace to the Middle East. No one could ever do that. He's the man. Yeah, but in three and a half years, he's going to break that peace deal. He's going to show his true colors that he's not a man of peace. He's a man of war. And once that peace deal is broken... He's going to bring an end to sacrifice and offering. It says right there in your Bible. How are you going to bring an end to something if it didn't start? They're not offering sacrifices right now because the temple's not built. But as soon as the temple's built, then they're going to start the sacrifices up because they believe those sacrifices are going to bring the Messiah back because they don't believe the Messiah's come yet. I know it's a lot of information, but I'm just trying to help. So then once that... Once that uh, sacrifices are started, he's going to break this peace deal and he's going to say, all right, no more sacrifices from now on, everyone worships me. He's going to go from peacemaker to the one who says, I want the worship. His true colors are going to show. He's going to be the Antichrist. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. You remember the abomination of desolations in Matthew chapter 24? On the wing of abominations. What's, what's the wing of abominations? Is that after this three and a half, in that three and a half year time period, when he stops the sacrifices to God and says, now everyone begin to sacrifice to me. And millions upon millions of people are going to worship him as God. It says many will be deceived. And they will worship him. And they will say, man, you're, you're the one. You're the one. You're the leader. They'll begin to bow down and worship him. And when that takes place, whew, start the clock. Once the temple's rebuilt and sacrifices are started again, mark your calendars. Three and a half years, everything's going to be shut down. It's all it. It's going to wrap up in three and a half years. So if we're alive for this, <laughs> we're sitting there eating popcorn going, Yes. In the midst of troublesome times, 583 B.C., God told Daniel what's going to happen right there. That's our Bible. Why do we serve Jesus? Because we're more moral than people? No, no, no. No, because he's the king. Because he's the king. And when this happens, he comes back 
shows himself, everybody will know and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Those above, those on the earth, and those beneath. So why do I live for Jesus? Because I think it makes me better than other people? No. Because there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Because my Bible's accurate for 2,500 years. All the way back from Adam and Eve, 4,000 B.C., all the way up to 2021, God's Word is still speaking telling us what's going to take place, showing me what's going to happen on the news, showing me as I watch what takes place in the Middle East, as, I've, as we watch these markers, 1948, ooh, Israel became a nation that's big. 1967, they take over Jerusalem. Ooh, that's a big deal in history. So we have to understand. Can you pray with me right now? I just want us to take a moment. Oh, so much information. I know it's a lot of historical data, but I want you to hear... I want you to hear something in this. I want you to hear that God is faithful to his word. He's faithful. He prophesied to Daniel, 70 weeks, Daniel, this whole thing's going to wrap up in 70 weeks. 69 of them have already happened. 69 have already taken place. From the going forth of the command to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem to until the Messiah, the prince, there's going to be 69 weeks. Then the Messiah is going to die. He's going to be cut off, not for himself, but he's going to come for the sins of humanity. He's going to die for them. He's going to be resurrected. Do you know that Jesus died for your sins and for mine? Do you know there's no other way to get to heaven but through Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Do you know that? Do you know there's no other name given among men? Do you know that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you too can be saved? It's not about joining this church. It's not about being a better person than other people. It's about receiving the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. He's coming back. He's coming back. And when he comes, I want you to be found in his camp. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.